Hey everyone, and welcome to Radically Normal. This is Michael, and I'm here with Andre. And on today's episode, we dive into 2 Corinthians chapter 3 as we continue uh, season 3 of this podcast. We hope you enjoy the conversation. What's up, guys? This is Andre, and uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you guys have been enjoying all of our interviews and, and episodes as we go into 2 Corinthians. But before we jump in for today, you know, as we're recording this, this is my semester at least is almost coming to an end. I think Michael's is also less than a month out from finishing, but Michael actually decided to take a little trip out to Lubbock uh, right before finals, and uh, he might be taking some other trips too. So uh, I guess uh, the finals grind won't be that that tough for him, but I'm over here just, you know, grinding <laughs> away at before finals. So unfortunately for me, still in, still in Georgia, but lucky for Michael, he's getting, a little, he's getting a little break off of school this weekend. Okay, two things. Number one, just finished a big test, and Andre knows it went well. Number two, finals are not even near for us. We still have three more weeks before finals, so I feel okay about the the mini trip uh, to Lubbock to see Abby. And at the same time, um, I don't know how much of a grind, grind it is for Andre, given that we were supposed to start recording uh, at the time that he woke up this morning, and that would have been 8.45 his time. So that's a bit of a sleep in. I don't know if it's much of a grind in Atlanta either. Dude, sometimes you got to sleep in so you can have a productive rest of your day, you know? And getting that nine or ten hours of sleep every once in a while is vital. Nine to ten? success for finals. Yeah, dude, it's Saturday. What do you mean? <laughs> Dang. Well, I got up early, but guess what I'm holding? What drink am I holding, Andre? A nice little Starbucks coffee? Man, I'm jealous. And guess what it is? That's going to... Oh, is it a peppermint mocha? Oh, it is. Well, I guess you're going to have the, the good points to get us started in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 then since you got the coffee over there because I don't I don't have that this morning. So I'll let you get us started off in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Awesome. So we left off in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and uh, a lot of commentaries uh, kind of combine the end of chapter 2 into chapter 3 or in the beginning of chapter 3 into the same uh, section in a sense because they're about similar topics. And so as we get into chapter 3, uh, Paul begins talking about how this new covenant affects his ministry and how it confirms his apostleship and the legitimacy of what he's trying to do at the church of Corinth against, as Andre has talked about, against these other newcomers, these other people who are uh, threatening that and threatening the liveliness and the spirit of the church at Corinth. And so they ask for some letters of recommendation or like what we call rec letters. So Andre, do we is this the same thing? Do they like fill out a form and like rate people and recommend them? Is this a rec letter like we're familiar with? Yeah. So what I read is that it could potentially be thought of like that uh, just for the sake of simplification. But um, what I was reading about is that what this really was, was kind of like these newcomers, uh, you could say, uh, they potentially had some right ideas about um, Christianity or, or whatever, but they were kind of uh, beholden to some of these ideas of um you know, the laws of Moses and their letters of recommendation or, or their rec letters, as, as you said, were really coming from um, some kind of uh, Jewish higher ups, some kind of uh, Jewish established church somewhere else who was saying, yeah, these people and the things that they're saying, uh, they seem to be checking out and you should listen to what they say. And so then they come to court to Corinth and say, look, we have this uh, rec letter or this letter stating that, you know, we come from XYZ, other Jewish establishment, uh, church or location or whatever. And therefore you should listen to what we say. And you shouldn't listen to what Paul says because he is telling you, um, or they're claiming that what Paul is telling them is, is to forget about the laws of Moses and to forget about 
a lot of their history and a lot of, um, uh, yeah, really just their history and, and some of the things that um, they had experienced and, and know about and have heard about uh, when it comes to uh, the covenant. Specifically here, um, Paul is going to touch on uh, on Moses, but um, really the disconnect here is that Paul doesn't have these letters of recommendation, and they're already questioning really his apostleship. Um, he didn't. They're kind of questioning that he wasn't a disciple. Um, they want to know what his really justification is for um, for you know the things that he's saying, the letters that he's writing. And we've already seen that you know Paul says um, that he was um, all the way in in chapter one. If if you've listened to that episode, we we see that you know Paul starts off even by by saying that um, he is an apostle of Christ by the will of God. So he's kind of having to to justify here, and 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 he's going to talk a little bit about why he doesn't have these letters of recommendation and what his letter of recommendation is. Um, and I'll jump, I'll hand this back over to you, but what he's going to get into is that um, his letter of recommendation, like the proof is, is uh, uh, seen in um, the success and the establishment of, of the church um, that he's writing to. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to say while I remember that uh, in the second half of the chapter, we're going to talk a lot about Moses as, as Andre referenced to, but don't recall the, how we began this season. Andre was not too happy about being Enneagram buddies with Moses. And so he might say that he thinks it's a cool part of the chapter and the references to Exodus 34. But we know Andre's not too happy about that one. But if Andre doesn't have anything to add to that, I'll just keep going. Yeah, keep going, man. <laughs> okay, so in verse 3, uh, or verse 2, as Andre is alluding to, they're saying, we don't have, Paul's saying, we don't have a rec letter per se, but we have a, we have a testimony to the truth of our claims by the fact that what Jeremiah and Ezekiel prophesied about is coming true at the church at Corinth, and since your lives are being transformed uh, by following Jesus, then you are our letter. You're a letter from Christ written uh, with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone. Remember the, the commandments were written on the two tablets of stone placed in the Ark of the Covenant, in the tabernacle, in the temple. And then he says, but on tablets of human hearts. And so don't want to miss this because Paul's not using random language that sounds fancy and just, just talking about Moses, but he's actually going back to what two guys that, uh, well, especially Ezekiel, but that Andre knows that I love, uh, so in Jeremiah 31, as Andre's going to teach about in a few weeks in his covenant Bible study, uh, Paul's, or Jeremiah says that there's going to be, that the Lord says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And so this new covenant language in verse 6, we have been made sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. This is Jeremiah 31 language that the new covenant that Jeremiah talked about has been made real in uh, what is happening there in Jesus' time and rightly thereafter. So when Jesus says that the, the blood of the new covenant has come, or the, he speaks of the blood of the new covenant in Luke 22 at the Lord's Supper, that's what he's talking about. And then in Ezekiel uh, 36, uh, a very uh, uh, renowned or well-known section on the new covenant, God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and uh, be careful to obey my rules. And so he's saying what Ezekiel and Jeremiah have said was going to happen is what's happened in Corinth. This is, this is the coming alive that's happened to the believers there. And so this is a this is the new life. And so you're testifying. You're our rec letter. You're the letter of the Spirit. And so Paul doesn't think that the law is actually what brings death. You think of Psalm 19, Deuteronomy 5. The law is supposed to bring life. 
However, it's that due to disobedience, the law had brought death and uh, it was now being internalized. Jeremiah 31, 33 doesn't say the law is going away. It's saying the law shall be written on their hearts. And so Christians act like the law is bad, but the law is actually good and it's pointing us to something greater. That's really good, man. And to simplify a little bit before we jump into the next uh, little section here in, in verse four. So basically, to sum up what you said, uh, what Paul's really saying is that, you know, yes, we have the laws like, no, don't forget about them. And then he's he's really saying, you know, where's the proof of, um, you know, what's going on? Where's my recommendation letter? And he's saying it's really in your change in lifestyle, like what Michael was talking about. Now that they have the spirit, he's saying, you know, this is the better way. Like your lives have literally changed. They've, they've made a, a 180 here. Just look at yourselves, look at your congregation and see how people are coming from all parts. Uh, there's Jews and non-Jews. There's people of different um, social standings, as we had talked about. Um, and all of you are united by one thing. And, that you know, that's the spirit within you. Um, and it's it's literally changed your lives. It's changed the way how, how you operate. Um and more so, he's saying, like, don't forget how this has changed, like, your relationship with, with me, with Paul, um, who is, like, really the minister over all the things that are going on in Corinth. And, and he's really saying, you know, that's his recommendation letter. And to build off of what Michael said, moving into verse 4, he says, he talks a little bit about the confidence that he has um, in God uh, through Christ. And I think that that's really cool because, you know, he, he just said it in verse 3 how, you know, this new covenant— uh, with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So, you know, he's saying that, like Michael said, um, he's not uh, diminishing or dismissing uh, the law, but he's saying that, you know, now that it's that, that now that it's on its, on human hearts, it's like within, it's, it's the spirit within them that they don't have to be like, it's not this like feeling of, of death and, and worry and, and, and defeat that came with, you know, the sacrifices and all that. Now he's saying that, you know, the confidence that he has in what he's saying, but also the confidence that he has, you know, in God comes through, uh, comes through Christ and, and comes through all the things that he's saying. And I think that that's, that that's uh, really cool. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but then he kind of gets into this whole uh, talk on, on Moses, which is really cool that, that we want to get into. Yeah. Just right before we dive into that, I want to share something uh, about this relationship between law and grace, law and the gospel uh, that, Actually, Jen Wilkin wrote about in her new book, 10 Words to Live By, and she talked about how people pit uh, rules versus relationship. Christianity is not about rules or religion. It's about relationship. And she says it's absolutely about relationship, but the relationships are communal. They're with God and they're with other people. And so we're saved into a special relationship with God and we are into with other believers as well in the church. And so since Christianity is about relationship with God, since it's about relationship with other people, Christianity and she says unapologetically, is about rules because those rules show us how to live in those relationships. So rules enable the relationship. And so I think about John 15, Jesus says, abide in me. Well, we have to abide and follow what he says to live in proper relationship uh, with him. And so I think that's what you're seeing a lot of too with the new covenant talk uh, as it as it relates back to Moses. And so Andre, uh, before we started recording, you said you loved looking at Exodus 34, thinking about the veil, the diminished or the dimming glory. Uh, so why don't you kick us off with that? Yeah, for sure. So there's like two, um, I don't know if you'd call it like an analogy or just like a, a viewpoint or a thought process when it comes to what uh, Paul is saying here, starting in verse seven. Um, 
But like you said, he's talking about a little bit about um, Moses's face when Moses uh, is speaking to God in Exodus 34. And we can read in just a second, but just to kind of um, establish these two things and both of them are really cool. One of them I read about in the commentary and one of them is actually like kind of like a little side part of my Bible. But the one from the commentary is kind of like um, in Exodus 34, uh, Paul's talking about how, um, you know, the, the glory of God seen on, on Moses' face, but how he puts um, a veil to cover his face. One, just because it's bright, but it's really bright and, and people are kind of like, amazed slash scared slash you know whatever so the veil the veil is like moses's sunscreen kind of reverse <laughs> sunscreen i guess it's, it's sunscreen for everyone else but he does but in in verse um verse seven paul says um that you know that glory the light shining from moses's face he says uh it was being brought to an end so he's really saying like it's dimming um moses doesn't really want um the Israelites to see how, you know, the glory of God is, is dimming on his face. And he's saying more so now, um, you know, having the spirit within you, that's glory from God. That's not going to, to, to dim or, um, anything like that. And I thought that that was one really cool picture. Another one is that, um, from the side of my Bible, really, uh, pointing out how, um, when Paul talks about, you know, the veil covering Moses's face, um, it's really like also uh, Paul's making like this other point to uh, the church at Corinth. And he's saying, you know, there's also um, the veil is not letting the light get through. Right. And he's saying like, there's a veil covering your heart. And the only way to remove that veil is by putting your faith um, and trust in Jesus. Then that veil gets removed. And all of a sudden, you know, the fruit of the spirit is, is uh, going to be like evidently uh, coming from you. I thought that both of those pictures were, were like really, really cool to think about. And thinking about glory and uh, glory that comes from our confidence um, in God through uh, Christ and through having the Spirit within us. And, and just, I, I don't know, I've, I've really been liking the, the imagery and, and a lot of like the senses that you can feel uh, from Second Corinthians that Paul is using, especially like last week with the fragrance and now this week with... Uh, the veil covering the light and, and the light that should be shining from us. Oh, Andre likes the the fragrance. He had a good incense time at the Eastern Orthodox Church. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I actually, I was thinking, I was reflecting this week on what, what about Moses's experience in Exodus 34 if we're participating in a greater covenant? I was thinking about how does the entire story of Exodus 34 relate to our entire experience today? And so in Exodus 34 earlier, so we've been talking mainly about like verses, uh, I have it right here. We've been talking mainly about verses 29 onward to the end of the chapter. But if you go back... Yeah, like 29 through 35. But exactly. So if we go upwards in Exodus 34, though, and we go to the beginning of the, the chapter where Moses and where God provides the new tablets, this is after the golden calf incident of chapter the previous two chapters. So Moses cuts two tablets of stone like the first, and the Lord, verse 5, descended in the cloud and stood with him. Verse 6, passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and keep and keeps going, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but by who will no means clear the guilty. And so he keeps, and so it's a revelation of God's nature. And remember at this point in the Bible, there is no revelation about God's forgiving, merciful, gracious, slow to anger 
nature. There is that in narrative. We see all those truths in Genesis and the the, the majority of Exodus, but we don't, like so far, because uh, that's later in Exodus, but we don't actually get a statement about it till this point. And so Dane Ortland, the author of that, uh, actually the brother of Gavin Ortland, who we had on the podcast, and the author of the uh, now the really well-known book, Gentle and Lowly, which I commend, uh, he says, short of the incarnation itself, this this part in Exodus 34 at the beginning is perhaps the high point of divine revelation in the Bible. And so we have this, ex- Moses experiences God's nature, God's nature is revealed to him, and then he participates in it by reflecting God's glory. And so kind of same thing with us in John chapter 1, uh, John uses that language and he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, we've seen his glory, glory uh, as of the only Son from the Father. So now we've seen uh, God has revealed himself to us in Jesus, and then now we participate uh, in this by reflecting God's glory to other people. We're to be the light of the world, and uh, now we participate, and our face is uh, our face is unveiled, and behold God's glory, which we'll get to in verse 18. But that kind of connects, I hope, Moses' experience and our experience. That's really good. So I kind of want to circle back a little bit and kind of get into, you know, why is... Paul really having to, um, you know, really defend really and, and explain the, the proper theology for the new covenant. And especially when it comes to these newcomers and how they're kind of, um, I don't know, holding on potentially, or, or just they're telling the Corinthians like, you, you know, Paul's, he's forgetting about Moses. He's not, uh, he's forgetting about the laws and all that. Why, why do you think that, um, you know, this, uh, I guess these newcomers, they're, they're kind of having this, uh, um, misconstrued idea of, of potentially, you know, the, the, I, I think they're, I think what I read was that, you know, they thought that the, the dispensation of, of, of Moses was not yet come to an end. They, they don't really hold to this new covenant, but why is that? Why do you think that that's popular for, um, here, the church at Corinth? Like, why do you think that potentially, uh, they, they're buying into that a little bit over what Paul is saying? Well, it's very tempting. I mean, nowadays, if somebody came along and said, Hey, we have this new, I mean, I mean, you could make a connection with Joseph Smith and the Church of Latter-day Saints, but I mean, I'm saying if you have this new sect come along in Christianity today and it's like completely new thing and it's like complete teaching completely different doctrine uh, that you're super unfamiliar with, you'd be super sketched out. But a lot of the reason for that is because it has this foundation of 2,000 years. And so we have this foundation of orthodoxy that's been going on for a long time. Well, Judaism had the same thing. So when people like Jesus, especially, and then Paul as a follower, come along and they're teaching this completely new way that uh, interprets the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, differently from how the Jewish people at the time were interpreting it, and teaches that the, the Messiah has come, but the Messiah, you know, is the one who's crucified. He doesn't take over Rome. So when they have this new sect rise up that's super unfamiliar, I mean, it sounds like it's easy for us to think that we would protect against that, but it's actually that's how Judaism would protect against it as well. And so it could be very tempting to fall back into the old ways, I think, versus uh, trusting completely in something that seems entirely new and goes against a lot of the ways that a lot of Jewish teachers were still proclaiming. Uh, do you agree? Yeah, I think that's really good. And I think that, you know, Paul really get in, gets into it um, kind of in, the, in this last section here where, where he's really uh, reiterating and, and kind of all the way throughout, he's reiterating that he's not saying forget about Moses and forget about the law. He's saying that, you know, this is a new covenant that is rooted in Christ and rooted in the spirit within you. And I think that um, really getting into um, what the change is in, uh, for the Corinthians and, and what he gets into in this um, 
last section here, I think really paints a, an even better picture of, of um, you know, Paul's sentiments towards, towards that and towards the newcomers, if you want to get into it. Yeah, that's really good, man. So if we're looking kind of in this middle section as we, you know, journey towards the bottom of the chapter, in verse 9 we see that this there's this new ministry of righteousness, he's referring to the new covenant, obviously, must far exceed it in glory. And so we see that this new covenant exceeds the old. It's not just a replacement. Well, I don't actually think the new covenant is a replacement of the old covenant. Of the old covenant, it's a to use uh, this to use the language of a book that Andre's actually reading through right now. In terms of these being progressive covenants, um, I think that the new covenant is a a deeper unveiling. To use uh, no pun intended after after this chapter, but to <laughs> that's good. To it's a it's a further revelation of what God is doing in His overall uh, eternal covenant of grace. And so, in this, were you going to say something? A, di- a deeper unveiling of glory, man. <laughs> so, as uh, yeah, that's really good. So, ministry of righteousness exceeds it in glory. So, this new covenant is superior in the sense that not that it's replacing, but that it's it's fulfilling. And in verse thirteen, it says that Moses's uh, the time of Moses, Moses' experience coming to an end. And so, we see that the the Moses' ministry of the law is temporary, but Jesus's covenant. Of, of grace by his blood in which we live a life of, as Michael Gorman puts it, uh, resurrectional cruciformity. As we step into that and we participate in that, that's what God intends for his people, then, uh, then we are partaking in this covenant that is eternal, that this ministry is eternal. The glory doesn't fade away. In fact, the glory only gets better. We see in Revelation 21, there's not even a sun or a moon in a new heaven and new earth because God's glory is uh, God's glory is the light. And so the glory uh, continually increases. The glory is eternal. It doesn't pass away. It's not temporary. And uh, so now we see in verse 14, their minds were hardened. When they read the old covenant, the veil was there, but Christ removes it. The veil, I mean, not just the temple curtain that's been torn down so people can enter God's presence, but that so they can uh, see continuously uh, God's glory. So think about now we're like Moses. Moses was the medi- mediator between God and the people, so only he saw the glory. Now we participate with God like Moses did. We see God's glory as Moses did. Our faces are shining as Moses would, except they don't stop shining, which is what happens as we get later into the chapter. That's what Paul is talking about. That's really good. Man. And, and right here in verse 14, like you said, uh, where it says, but their minds were hardened. So Who's Paul talking about here? Um, he's not talking about, well, he is talking about uh, the Corinthians, but he's also talking about um, what's going on uh, back in Exodus chapter 34 and, you know, just the book of Exodus in general, where he's saying that their minds were hardened. And now because of this new covenant, while, you know, this veil, which is hardening your hearts and, and, and minds, while it still remains unlifted now, but now it can be taken away through Christ. So he's kind of saying like, like that confusion that they had back then, you know, all of the, the feelings of, um, you know, insufficiency, uh, um, he, you know, he compares it, the old to death. Uh, he's, he's saying that now that's, that's taken away, that veil is taken away from your heart and it's through Christ. And I think that that's, that's really cool. And that's kind of what we were talking about a little bit earlier. And this is continued on through, uh, verses 15 and 16. And he continues to, you know, push, uh, the idea um, in his letter here, that um, even when they read uh, the covenants of, of, of old and when they read the laws um, as they're seen 
of an Exodus, and, and he says whenever Moses is read, he says that the veils, those the same veil that was over um, Israelites then, that same veil is going to be over you, unless if you, um, in verse 16 says, uh, turn to the Lord, then the veil is removed. So he's saying like, even if you want to, he's saying like, e like even like taking away the part of, of, you know, internalizing the law through this new covenant and the spirit within you, he's saying like, even if you want to read uh, about Moses, you're going to have the same misunderstanding if you're going to be taking to the viewpoints and, and the ideas and, and the teachings of, of these people who are coming in and telling you that, um, you know, you need to just hold on to the laws of Moses still and, and that's still the right way to um, redemption. He, he's saying that, you know, if that's what you're going to be listening to and, and you're not just going to be turning uh, directly to the Lord, then rather than having this veil be removed, you're going to uh, have the same confusion and have the same veil lying over your hearts as uh, was seen in Exodus. Yeah, that that's so good, and uh, I really like your your dichotomy, your differentiation between the the old or the the veiling versus the unveiling, and so that's kind of that's how he transitions to the last couple verses. Do you care if I get into this? Oh, go for it. Man. So in verse seventeen, it almost sounds anti-trinitarian. The Lord is the Spirit, and uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But he's not saying Jesus is the Spirit. He's connecting the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and the Holy Spirit. Saying again, this goes back to the first half of the chapter, but uh, this is a further uh, reference to texts like Ezekiel thirty-six, because the new covenant is marked by Jesus's presence and the transformation of life that occurs when the Holy Spirit is inwardly dwelling in people and the laws written on their hearts due to the Holy Spirit, replacing the heart of stone with the heart of flesh. And so that's verse 17. And so where that spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, there's unveiling. And so now in verse 18, I'll just read the whole verse and then uh, we can talk about it. But it said, he says, and we all with unveiled faith, which Andre just uh, uh, explained uh, great, uh, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so just even before, what's up? I, I hope you're not uh, setting me up for a question here, because I know that this is a little bit more of a, a controversial uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, verse here. So I can see where, where, where we're heading. So I'm going to have to take over and, um, and ask you a question. <laughs> so uh, uh, do you want to dive into to verse 18 and, and uh, what uh, potentially uh, some... Uh, misinterpretations or, or what, what the controversy is here. Yeah, before I even get into that, I just want to point out that it begins with and we all, not and you, and we. And so when it says in 1 Corinthians 6, your you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, your body is, the, the you in the Greek is is not singular, it's plural. And so Paul is always emphasizing the communal nature of the body of Christ. And so similar, so like in 1 Corinthians 6, talking about how sin harms the body, don't sin, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. He's saying the collective body, your sin harms the community. So here in verse 18, we all, we're all transformed as a body of believers. And so not, this isn't only being transformed by the, by the individuals, you know, uh, uh, not uh, just by the individual's uh, actions to follow Jesus, whether that be Bible reading or prayer, but the communal nature. I mean, even one commentary talked about how that he said church membership and also prayer and Bible reading are important. And so he was emphasizing how important community is. But to keep going, what Andre's talking about is that there's a lot of discussion about uh, if this is an example of theosis or deification, which would have, which was commonly talked about for most of church history, but is largely uh, not it's super unfamiliar today, and it almost sounds heretical that we don't just become like Jesus, but we participate in God's own life and nature and self. And so, 
this idea of deification is common. I mean, in Athanasius, he said Christ became man so that we might become God uh, or become like God. And so let me pull that quote. Uh, he said, Christ was made man that we might be made God. And he also said, the son of God became man that he might deify us in himself. And so we've talked about Athanasius before, I think in the first or second season. And so uh, with that, we have this idea that we participate in God's nature and uh, we are united to Christ and share in the divine body. Second Peter 1, 4 says we are partakers in the divine uh, nature. And so when it says in verse, that's just a little bit of uh, history or explanation for what this verse has been talked about before. And then just maybe some interesting things is like in verse 18, it says, beholding the glory of the Lord. Well, behold, I'm going to give a wild shot at this. I'm going to sound like Andre with not a Kaya, but a Chia, as he uh, said in the first season. In the first... Wow, relax. <laughs> so, uh, but I'm going to give it a, a shot here. So there, the verse for the, the word for beholding is uh, in the Greek, it's uh, very very long. Uh, and uh, I, I was reading I, a couple word studies on it, but it's like katoptrizomahi. And so the verse, uh, the word for beholding is to behold as in a mirror. I think even some Bible translations write that. And mirrors in the first century weren't uh, glass. They were polished, highly polished silver or highly polished uh, metal. And so when you saw yourself in the mirror, you would be almost illuminated as if you can picture it coming off of the metal. There would be a certain like glow or essence to it. And so that's what he's talking about. This 18, the verse 18, this goes back to Moses because Moses' face was shining. Well, that's how your face would look in the metal. And so when we participate in the Lord, when we follow the Lord, when we uh, live crucified to ourselves, then we are transformed, sanctified into God's image. And who does this come from? It comes by the Spirit, the same one who empowers Paul. Andre, that's all I have, unless you just want to dive into a lot of church history. So uh, what else you got, brother? Uh, no, I, I think that that's that's really good, and, and I could not have explained it any better, which is why I wanted uh, to let you do it. But I do have one point uh, just about the beholding of the glory of the Lord, and, and you know how that um, can be attainable for us today. You know, we think about you know Moses; uh, he got to speak to God, and and he had this glory on his face, and it was just shining, and it was so evident. And you know now Paul is saying that you know having the Spirit within us. Um, that glory doesn't dim and it's so much better and it's going to bring so much more life. And it's like, well, how do you kind of get to partake in, uh, in this glory and this light? And I liked one of the points made in this, in this commentary here now, and I'll kind of just read it to not take, not take credit for it. But, um, the commentary is making this point that the light comes by the gospel or the knowledge of God. And then quotes, uh, the psalmist who says that the entrance of God's words, which give light. And I think that this is really cool because kind of like what, what Michael said um, about, you know, reading your Bible and prayer and all those things, but, but really like having this like knowledge of God of like what the, like what the Bible actually says is going to like bring so much light in like your conversations with others and, and how um, you live your life. And you're going to really have some of those feelings of what Paul's talking about um, to the Corinthians. You know, the proof is in how their lives have been changed. And a lot of that comes from, um, and even as we see, we're going to talk about next week in, in chapter four, um, verse four or five, I think it is. Um, uh, let me look at it right real quick. Um, yeah, looking at verse three, um, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In the case of the God of this world uh, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So just, you know, how important it is to um, dive into 
God's word. Um, and, and that's kind of just like a, a picture of, of how this really applies to us today. But you explained the last part super well. And I hope everyone who's listening enjoyed the discussion and see you guys back next week.